you have to have a mobile first creative strategy. Okay. You think about billboards, you think about uh, you know TV ads and so on. It's great. Um, you can maybe repurpose some of that content potentially, but you have to start thinking about mobile as a distinct channel. With consumers' perception of digital advertising at an all-time low, there's more pressure today on digital creative than there has been ever before. Uh, to talk about this, we invited Philip Tabbitt from Mobcoy. Um, as always, I'm your host, Brian Rios, and I'm here with... Joshua Grant. Philip, could you give a little bit of an intro for our audience? <laughs> yeah, good to be here with you guys. Yeah, my name is Philip Tabbitt. Uh, yeah, so I represent uh, Mobcoy, and Mobcoy is a, a mobile advertising platform. And uh, what we do is that we specialize in, in impactful full screen ads uh, that are basically um, uh, displayed on uh, premium inventory uh, on mobile. Great, great. So we wanted to talk about a couple of news stories first and then we'll get into our main topic. So there's a couple of news stories that I wanted to talk about um, that have been like really sort of topical at the moment. So the first one is obviously everybody's been talking about the metaverse. All of my clients are talking about the metaverse. Um, I think the metaverse conversation is extending into sort of the lexicon of the sort of average consumer. And what I thought was really interesting, um, there's an article that came out from VentureBeat who basically broke down a study from a, a company called ProductsUp that basically said that 60% of consumers are like not interested in virtual shopping at all, which is which I find very interesting given that the one of the big pitches of the metaverse, right, is that you can, brands can set up stores and that people will really want to have these sort of virtual e-commerce shopping experiences. And so I thought that was quite interesting, but I'd love to know what you guys sort of think of that. Cause it, yeah. it wasn't surprising to me, but I think it might've been surprising to some of the brands to probably hear that. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right on point there. It's definitely a hot topic, Joshua. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you speak to CMOs and CEOs and majority of them, whether they are trying to plan strategies around that or just getting their minds uh, wrapped around that topic, yeah. it's, it's definitely something that uh, we, we see all the time. But I'm not surprised that a lot of uh, you know users and, and, and consumers are confused about it because it is a confusing topic, yeah, generally for speaking. Sure, for sure. And the confusion actually comes from, from the fact that brands are not even sure how to address the metaverse. <laughs> so you know it's basically an inception problem. Right? Yeah, brands are basically like... I want to be in the metaverse and like what do you exactly. mean by that exactly, <laughs> exactly. like after, yeah. as if it's just one you're destination right. that you can go to you're it's right like, and a lot of them don't even have a, a proper reason or a legitimate yeah. reason to be there but it's the fear of missing out that yeah. they have to be there so I mean the fact that they're going there they're confusing a little bit uh, yeah. you know their audiences but I think that's a very minimal problem because this is normal for for an early stage kind of uh, yeah. idea it needs yeah. to kind of mature a little bit but I find when you think about the metaverse, really, it's the technical uh, barriers that are making it yeah, even more exactly. complex yeah. today. Do you think it's, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting, We talk, I've, I've done a few presentations on this, and um, one of the promises of the metaverse is like, oh, well, you know, remote working will be a lot easier because you can attend meetings in the metaverse. And I'm thinking, I am not going to wear this, like, Facebook <laughs> Oculus yeah, yeah. headset for two hours to sit in a meeting. Yeah. So, yeah. like, do you think, I mean, obviously it's still early stages, as you said, but do you think think it's also a lot of hype and that that hype will eventually become more practical and realistic or do you think it is the metaverse is like worth all the hype that we we have around it right now yeah I feel like um, first of all I personally don't know how to access the metaverse like I have a VR headset and I've never once 
access the metaverse. Like, okay, I'll show you after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me that gate key or whatever yeah. I need to get in there. And you just go, metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a 20-hour onboarding session. It starts with that word. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think when, when we say metaverse, um, as a consumer, it's just so... It, disconnected from like yeah. your reality at this point or my reality at this point that um, that I can see where that like in 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 unbalance is coming from yeah, yeah. Um, like like in equilibrium how do you say yeah, I don't know yeah, the words yeah. for that yeah where where marketers and and companies are hearing this term and they're getting excited about it and consumers are hearing the term and getting more and more confused right. um, but as Philip was saying, I do think that that's probably more a sign of just the stage of the technology versus consumers actual feeling towards digital shopping or virtual shopping. Like, I think if you say like, do you have any interest in virtual and buying virtual clothes in the metaverse? Like the answer is like, no. But if it's like, would you potentially be interested in visiting a virtual store that would let you try on the clothes and then having those actual clothes shipped to your house later like, is that something that, that yeah. sounds like, a, oh, like, that's kind of an interesting thing. I would like to see what it looks like on me without having to make the trip to a store. Yeah. And so I think that the technology is what's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think how it's presented to the consumer is creating this really big gap in, in yeah. what brands are seeing and, and getting hyped about and then what consumers are, are actually yeah. I, I think that's true because we should definitely one day do an episode on it. But I think also, like... There's so much unknown around the metaverse in terms of like, well, what's actually the business model? Like, is it an advertising model? Is it an e-commerce model? Is it just an extension of gaming? Um, And so I think, you know, before I think consumers would feel comfortable about having virtual shopping shopping experiences, I think they need to understand kind of what's the the model of it. Yeah, what the value proposition is for them, exactly, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, one of the the issues is the fragmentation of the worlds in its, itself. Like when you think about products, there is a word that that's usually a buzzword in in the world of the metaverse is interoperability. Interoperability. Yeah. Yeah. I never say that word correctly, but <laughs> um, but the, the the idea is that how do you actually um, interact? with your avatar or products in one world, Roblox, yeah. and how do you actually transition from that world to another world? Yeah, exactly. And right now, everything is, is siloed. Mm. So, so some brands are doing a great job. For example, Nike, you know, uh, betting a lot on Roblox and creating Nikeland. And essentially, yeah. this is today, I think, the best application of what Metaverse is, is that you create a community where people can come and interact with the product. Yeah. And then you have these superstars like LeBron James and so on that show up. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're having an experience which is quite unique yeah. that you cannot get anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is the, the issue is that sometimes brands don't even understand how to actually, uh, you know, which world to even start with yeah. and, and what is the experience that you're going to bring there. I mean, you have brands that have just gotten into e-commerce as a Correct. thing, right? Because of Correct. COVID and you're like, oh, no, now you need to take it to the yeah, next absolutely. level. And they're like, oh, yeah. okay, I just want to be yeah. in the metaverse. Yeah. Um, but no, it would be interesting. Yeah, see. but I think you mentioned something really important uh, earlier about kind of the technology adoption. And I think you touched upon that point, Joshua, is that right now, I mean, the, 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 just the VR sets is the entry, uh, you know, t- t- technology to this world. But I think when you try to see how to operate your smartphone right now, it's very primitive. <laughs> I mean, you can't even talk about Web 3.0 and so on and so forth. Yeah. The experience is, is way yeah. behind. So there's a lot of work to be done. Um, from a technology standpoint to just make it more accessible, more immersive, sure. and so on. But that's also just another, the tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this percentage changes as 
things become more practical, yeah, accessible, correct. realistic. But older people I think, die off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's like I, I, I'm always reminded of like I think I saw some sort of funny meme online, but it was like um, it was like a picture of an of, of an older woman, and it was like my grandma just learned how to use like Amazon, and now I'm like a hundred thousand dollars in debt, right? Because the grandma's just like clicking the button, buy now, buy now. Yeah. Um, and also, I think particularly for Japan, what's going to be interesting to see is if sort of, because e-commerce um, in Japan is still relatively low compared to the, to the rest of the world. So it'd be yeah. interesting to see if like the metaverse sort of leapfrogs traditional e-commerce um, and sort of becomes the way that people yeah. shop and buy things. But yeah, we'll keep an eye on it and see that's, see what will happen. That's interesting yeah. about the, the grandmother story. I mean, yeah. and that's not going to happen in the metaverse because she has to figure out crypto wallets first, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like a whole other thing. Yeah. Imagine it's like, you know, um, it's funny how like I always think about like, you know how Wired has this uh, on their YouTube channel, they have something that's quite cool, which is they're like, explain a concept at multiple levels and they have to explain it to like a kindergartner and then an elementary school student. I'm like, imagine explaining like NFT to like your grandmother, it'd be yeah. impossible. But that's a good segue actually into the second story, which is, um, so one of the interesting things that's happened over, I guess the last quarter is that um, the social platforms have had a really rough quarter in terms of the earnings that they reported. Um, Snapchat was kind of the first one to report um, that, you know, they had projected 20 to 25% growth and they were down 43%, which is massive, yeah. right? Um, and then subsequently you had Pinterest, Meta, all reporting uh, loss in the quarter. And so this raised the question about, I guess, a, is this happening because of just sort of the current situation, supply mm -hmm. chain issues, um, you know, the war in Ukraine, et cetera, where, you know, supplies, supplies down, inflation, the cost of goods are more expensive. And so advertisers are realizing that they may not need to advertise as much. Or is this a deeper question about sort of digital advertising in general, which is it seems that brands are really preferring to go more to the sort mm -hmm. of what I call performance branding model, which mm -hmm. is like, I want to run digital ads, but I want the digital ads to serve an actual function. I want people to be able to click through immediately and buy the product. I want them to be able to interact with the product as opposed to, I think, what social media largely offers is, is sort of awareness building. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some, obviously, performance mm -hmm. formats. I think Instagram is fantastic at this. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it is this interesting idea of when you have to cut budgets, right? When you start looking at, as a marketer, these brands start looking at their spent expenditures, um, where do you make the cut? And is awareness building where you make that cut and you just really sort of focus on that core bottom part of the funnel, which is just essentially like driving performance. But I don't know what you guys think of that. Yeah. Well, I think that article is, is, is spot on, to be honest with you. I mean, there are definitely macroeconomic pressures right now that everyone's feeling yeah. uh, across the globe. And I would say that markets such as Asia is probably hit even more because some of these products, I mean, the space that we monitor very closely is luxury and, and majority of the luxury products are, are made in, in, in Italy and in France and, and the shipping costs, the supply chain issues. Yeah automotive, most of the parts for you know, luxury products yeah. are, are there. So those pressures are definitely having an effect on the way businesses today yeah. are, are, are selling their products and so on. But of course, every time you have a pressure or, or something that, that changes the way that you sell a product, the first to actually take a hit is usually advertising, because right, advertising right, yeah, is a percentage of revenue yeah, yeah. That, they, that they have. So what we have seen, and, and I think this is kind of a, 
an underlying kind of tone in, in the economy now is that basically campaigns are being delayed because product is not in right. market. They, yeah. they have no product, so they're just waiting for the supply chain issues to, to sort themselves out. And then, yeah. so campaigns that are supposed to start in, in, in the first half of the year are being pushed to a later part of the year. Yeah. Um, there are certain products, for example, that uh, were intended to be launched, but uh, the brands didn't want to be tone deaf to the whole Ukraine situation, so they wanted to kind of mute the message a exactly, bit. Exactly, yeah, it was that come up a few yeah, times. Yeah. It, it wasn't the right time to talk about specific products uh, when when you have uh, you know par brands who, who are trying to shut their business in, in in Russia and so on and so forth, but yet they're yeah. making a big uh, fuss about the the brand launch somewhere else. It wasn't the right time, so they're adapting to that yeah. as well. And so, it's uh, I've seen also when it comes to travel, one of the things I thought was really interesting. So obviously, in in, in most parts of the world, um, you know, society has relatively gone back to normal. I think Japan and Korea, yeah. and, you know, tend to be a bit of an outlier in that. But what I found really interesting is I was listening to sort of CNBC and they had a few airline companies talking about this idea of like revenge travel and like Correct. the promotion of revenge travel, which, which basically means like you almost have to convince people to re-travel again, yeah. right? And, and, and make that expense of like, oh, I'm actually going to yeah. get on a plane and go to this place because I think we all have, I mean, as someone who traveled a lot during COVID, we all have these traumas around like, That's right. I've got to get a COVID test and then I got to go do this and I got to do that. And right. travel became incredibly expensive. Yeah. And so how do you, especially in a time of inflation, if you're a travel company or a hotel chain, or um, even if you're sort of selling goods that people don't necessarily need, um, how do you sort of convince people that it's it's comfortable enough to sort of buying those things and then that in turn leads to is it you know should the marketers and brands be spending money in advertising so that's right it's um I'm interested to see how this plays out obviously yeah. you know the the conflict in Ukraine no one really knows when that will end and that's obviously going to contribute to I think continuous rising prices also I think um, as they pointed out in the article as we all know like um, sort of China's zero COVID policy plays a huge role in this because obviously that's the supply chain, that's the Correct. source of the supply chain Correct. for many people. Um, on top of that, it's also a very key market of growth for many, many brands. And that's so right. what is that going to look like and how will that shift? So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I hope that, you know, it's advertising bounce back. It always tends to, but this feels like this might be a bit longer than usual, I think. Absolutely. And also the, the Chinese consumer that travels abroad you now is, is, is not able to access all these other markets such as the US, Japan, and so on. So yeah. there is a lot of impact that these brands are, are, are feeling right now. Yeah. But I think going back to the topic about social media and, and, and why social media and what are they feeling right now, I think it's not an isolated case. I mean, other platforms are probably feeling sure, yeah. something. I mean, yeah. social media is obviously one of those first budgets that you probably want to cut yeah. <laughs> um, because it's easy to 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 cut yeah. those budgets. I mean, yeah. unlike uh, you know billboards and out of home where you have to commit to contracts years in exactly. advance, social is very easy to to unplug. Yeah, you just stop the campaign. You just stop the campaign. <laughs> you just so stop it's, the campaign. It's the easy is the is the easy choice yeah. for most marketers. But yeah. I, I think that when, but there are still some very uh, great success stories about right. social. And, I, and I'm an advocate of social to some degree because I believe it's a good way to reach audiences relatively quickly. And we talk about Gen Z and now we're talking about Generation Alpha and so on and so forth. Yeah. This, is, this is definitely a channel which resonates with them. For sure. and, and when you look at how certain ambassadors around Asia for brands um, have impacted the sales of their products. For sure, yeah. And very quickly, I mean, you have uh, certain brands that, um, you know, launch a partnership with a uh, K-pop uh, band and all of a sudden they're sold out on that product. Yeah. That a jacket that they see one of the uh, members wear, yeah. it's sold out. Yeah. So there is definitely some potential. But right now I feel like 
what we're seeing is mainly driven by market pressures and everything going on around the world. Do you yeah. feel like uh, this is a mirror for 2020 or do you think this is more of a continuation from 2020? Is it still part of the same? I, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a combination of a couple things. I yeah. think what ha what what COVID created was a new uh, way of sort of doing and buying goods, right? Mm. Because many parts of the world were on lockdown. And so everyone had to get comfortable with e-commerce. Everyone had to get comfortable with the idea of seeing something online and buying it. I think a lot of times people would, you know, and there's studies that show this, that people would like go research it online and then actually go to the store because they wanted to touch it. And so what happened is we COVID trained a generation of people to be incredibly comfortable with, I see it online and then I buy it. And I yeah. think that the, um, the marketers and brands need to respond to that because now that's the expectation, right? Now I can get things super quickly. I can go, if I see something very cool online, I want to be able to buy it right then. I don't want to have to go to your website, look it up, put in my size, figure it out. Like, and I think that that's what, yeah, put on my VR headset, go in the metaverse, go metaverse. <laughs> like, so I think it is about, I think it's, I think like inadvertently we, yeah. we've trained a generation of people to be comfortable with that sort of immediacy of online purchase. I think Amazon has done a lot of that too, yeah. um, with their like instant click buttons. So I think that it will continue to go this way. And so the question is, what does brand building look like post COVID? And this is where, you know, I always talk about, like I said, this concept of performance branding, where basically you can still brand build, but you need to have elements of interactivity and always, I think, e-commerce type elements to whatever ads you're running on digital. Because I think otherwise uh, it's going to be very, I think you're going to be behind in, you know, how you're engaging with your, with your consumers because the expectation is, I see something on Amazon, I buy it right away. I see something on Instagram, I buy it right away. If I see, you know, a preview, a tr like a, an ad on YouTube, I've then got to leave and then go and do the thing. And I just don't think people want to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so we'll yeah. see. But I think it's, I think it's changed in many ways how um, digital advertising, the expectation of digital advertising for the consumer. Yeah. If the brands and marketers will follow that, we'll see but that's what I, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think that actually leads really well into our main topic today, yeah. um, which is how important is creative to the success of digital in mobile advertising? Yeah. Um, yeah, and so. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, I think, so this is kind of a great segue topic from our previous discussion because we were talking about Friends. sort of privacy mm -hmm. and cookies and data and I think one of the big things that's come out of those conversations is basically if you don't have the level of data that you used to, if a brand doesn't have the level of data that they used to, how do you then get attention on digital platforms? And Correct. I think, you know, creative has always been and continues to be a part of that conversation. And there are many people who believe that's that right. like we're going to go back to the, the, the great days of advertising when the best creative was the thing that got the attention as opposed to I can just pay a bunch of money for a bunch of data sets. Correct. And so I think that's, you know, why the topic fits really well is because it's about, um, yeah, when you just can't push a button anymore to target a yoga mom, <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how, do you, how do you get that yoga mom's attention when she's doing a bunch of things? Yeah. Um, and also one other thing I think is, is interesting about this topic is like the, the platforms themselves, like Google have been very open about the fact that 
um, so much of a campaign success is related to how well your creative is, right? Mm. Which, you know, I think the, the statistic that Google gave is like 75 to 80% of a campaign success is related directly to how good your creative is. So I think it's um, uh, a sort of hot topic at the moment. Um, and that's why we wanted to, to chat Philip. about it. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to bring Philip in to talk about it. So um, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, yeah. yeah, so what, I guess my first question is kind of uh, about MobCoin in general. Correct. Um, and so maybe we can touch on a little bit about what MobCoin does or what the Correct. specific um, um, kind of value prop is there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, uh, first of all, thank you for having me here. And, 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 it, and it really is aligned with what you just said moments ago about the importance of creativity in the overall communication uh, with our audiences. So Mopco is a mobile advertising platform, but our, what we specialize on is basically impactful full-screen creatives that are shown in premium environments. So the idea is how do we actually develop a journey that changes the perception of the audience so they have a better impression of the brand that will result in higher impact down the, the, the value chain. So essentially, Mobcoy has, has been built uh, for, for luxury brands uh, many, many years ago. Um, but then to help them with the digital transformation problems of, of, of controlling where the ads would be placed. But very quickly, we've diversified across multiple verticals and we work with um, uh, airlines, the, the travel industry, finance, auto. And we're starting to get into the FMCG, FMB space as well. But in a nutshell, that's what pretty much Mobcoy does. Super interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's funny too because you you point I have like tons of questions. So I guess the first question when you you focus primarily on mobile, what are like the uh, creative considerations that have yeah. to be made when you're thinking about how people consume media on a mobile device, right? Because yeah. I know one of the challenges that we sometimes face at the agency is correct particularly with sort of TV-centric brands, as they think That's about right. the TV creative first, like That's the creative right. ideas often thought about like That's with right. TV in mind, and then it's like, oh, here's the video, run it on, a, like, run it on mobile. Yeah. So when you're, when you're thinking, That's like when point. you guys are developing creative at, at Mobcoy, like how are you, what are the components that make like a good mobile creative? Yeah, and, and I think you're right. I mean, a lot of marketers are thinking about this omni-channel approach. Yeah. Um, from a strategy standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But when it comes down to uh, creativity and, and building those assets, sometimes they don't think about the individual channels. Yeah. So I think one of the key considerations that we usually have about mobile and when we speak about uh, uh, to, to marketers and so on is to say, you have to have a mobile first creative strategy. Okay. You think about billboards, you think about uh, you know, TV ads and so on, it's great. Um, you can maybe repurpose some of that content, potentially, but you have to start thinking about mobile as a distinct channel. Right. So obviously, content in mobile is king, and when you think about developing uh, an advertising for mobile, you usually think about those micro-interactions. Okay. I mean, when you think about desktop, um, we know what that experience looks like. You're basically reading an article, you're, you're exposed to certain ads, yeah. and so on. But think about your, your interaction with the mobile device. I mean, all of us now have become extremely good at consuming a lot of content using one thumb. And now different apps, different ecosystems require you to interact with them differently. Swipe, yeah. tap, hold, double tap, expand, and so on and so forth. So when you start thinking about building creatives for mobile, you have to always think about that from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's not about taking maybe just a YouTube ad and how do you make that now into yeah, a yeah, mobile first <laughs> strategy. Yeah. And then the other thing is that you also have to think about relevance, relevancy. When you create advertising, I mean, of course, we're talking about you know, the funnel yeah. from awareness all the way right, to right. consideration and, and conversion, but I'm talking about audience 
per se. Yeah. So is this ad geared at uh, you know uh, uh, Gen Z, or is it something that is good, you know for 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 millennials, or is it for somebody else? Mm-hmm. So when you actually approach this uh, uh, this creativity question, you always have to think about how do you actually take the assets that you have and develop an ecosystem that really responds to the needs of the audience. And if you do this well, and, and you're able to interact um, in a way that um, the audience finds it pleasant, mm-hmm. then the result of that typically is quite impactful for the brand. I mean, if they transition from the ads to the site, usually you see uh, lower bounce rates. They already know what to expect because you've engaged with them in such a way that resonates with them. They have really a great uh, uh, connection with the, with the brand already. So when yeah. they go over to the site, or the e-commerce side, they spend more time and so on. Yeah. So this is how we pretty much approach it from, from approach this problem from a macro level. That makes sense. And you you mentioned that you work with a lot of luxury brands. So correct. What do you, what do you think that? Because obviously, when you look at you know LVMH or Caring or any correct. of them, um, the creative from the magazine creative to the digital creative to the TV creative is always. Beautiful. That's right. What do you think that luxury brands get about creative that maybe sort of FMCG brands don't get? Right. Yeah. What, what What do you think? Why do you think they were such early adopters to sort of Mubcoy and, and what you guys were providing as opposed to, let's say, a, a unique loaf, for example? Yeah, correct. And that's a very good question, actually, uh, Joshua. And, and, and we've been looking at this since, since we started the company. And the reality is that when it comes down to luxury brands in particular. And when we combine luxury, we can think about fashion, yeah. watch, jewelry, but yeah. it also extends to uh, premium brands, let's say in the automotive sector, when you are, let's say a BMW or, right. and so on. A lot of times it's about um, the environment. So they understand that creative in itself is pretty much just one strategy. It's, it's one piece yeah. of, of the overall plan. Yeah. So when they think about the actual uh, creative itself, they understand that they have to continuously build desire for the brand. Right. So it's not just about conversion at that point. It's about sustaining what the brand stands for. So they're very clear on their p- purpose. And I think what they do very often and to do well is that depending on the creative director that is currently in charge of, 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 of that uh, brand or, or what that brand stands for, they're very clear on taking that message and transferring it to the actual assets that are developed. Yeah, so sense. sometimes you take a look at a video and, and for some people, maybe they don't get it. But the reality, those fashion centric or, or you know, vanguards, they, they re- it resonates with them because they understand that's the brand purpose that's there. So they focus a lot on video as a as a awareness and consideration mechanism. And when you think about about that, if you are a Gucci or if you are Louis Vuitton or if you're an Hermes, there's a lot of brand equity out there. So yeah. you would wonder why would they spend so much on, yeah. on branding? But the reality is that they still need to consistently uh, position themselves as the brand that is the most desirable. Right, exactly. Uh, because it's a never ending cycle. I mean, Well, and they always have people consistently entering. Um, you know, what's, what's so interesting about sort of luxury goods in general is that, you know, one of the things that I've always wondered, and this, I guess it's a question for both is, is does, does the consideration window play a role in how um, much you think about creative? So I'll give you an example. With a luxury, let's say a new Louis Vuitton bag, right? For the average consumer, um, so not like, you know, uh, influencers and super wealthy, for the average <laughs> consumer, the purpose of the, buying a Louis Vuitton bag is a, is a, a long amount of consideration because Correct. you have to make sure that you can Correct. afford it or it's something that you save up for. 
etc. And so it's, I wonder that if you take that compared to, let's say, just a basic t-shirt from Gap. Makes sense. You know, Gap might say, well, we don't need all of this beautiful creative. We just need to show the t-shirt and then someone's <laughs> going to go get right it now. because they're going to decide Correct. right now, right? Correct. Whereas Correct. like maybe a luxury brand might think, no, no, we, because it takes so much time. Yeah. I remember I used to work uh, one of my clients was a was an automotive client, and they talked yeah. about this a lot. That like people consider a lot before you buy a car; it's a huge purchase. Correct. And so the creative was just this continued yeah. push towards the desire, creating the desire, the lifestyle. Whereas maybe it could be that a, a sort of more mass brand might be like, well, people don't think that much about buying McDonald's. Like you, correct. you get it as soon as you're hungry. They just need a coupon, need a coupon yeah. right? Correct. Correct. Do you, do you think that that's probably the case? Yeah, I think that that's interesting, especially for us, because we have sort of two sides of our marketing, right? Where we have stuff that's client focused, we have stuff that's candidate focused, and both of those buying cycles are quite long, actually. Like, like if you think about job change or career change, it's gonna be a two to three month process at least. Right. Obviously, maybe not years like some of the other B2B sales, but it definitely can take a lot of time and it's a lot of like very small, you're talking about those micro interactions, just that make sure that we're telling part of the same story on every channel and no matter where they want to access us, they have access to our brand, our story, what we're trying to do, the tools to help them. Um, and so, yeah, I think that like when you talk about luxury and how they, it is like this giant purchase and something that you have to consider for a long time. Um, I do think that, that it resonates a lot with sort of what we're doing here and how, yeah, we, we really like, it's really talking about that same story across all channels, like you were saying. And it, it's more of a consideration on like, how do you build that brand that people trust and they know for this specific type of story, this type of content. Um, yeah, and I, I can see why those bigger purchases, like that, that has to be taken into consideration um, from a brand perspective. Um, and I'm sure that McDonald's, if we asked them, they would say the same thing. Like, <laughs> like even though from maybe our perspective, it's like they don't care about the creative. I'm sure they've spent millions of dollars yeah. looking at it. Yeah. But, but, but honestly, I, I mean, th maybe there is a misconception that most of the luxury brands really want to focus on the you know, in-store experience. But a lot of them are pushing for e-commerce as oh, well. Oh, really? Yeah. They're, they're definitely, they have e-commerce uh, targets and, and, and some markets are, are being converted into e-commerce ready markets yeah. and so on. Now they're definitely laggers compared to, let's say, you know, uh, yeah. some, some other industries out there that have been operating in this space for years. Right? I always wonder who would buy like, no, but, a luxury product online. I'm but, like, you want the experience, you want the champagne and no, the but, store. But, and but, the... The, but the reality, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. But yeah. the reality is that there are some, there are some that are not first-time buyers. There right. are some that know the brand. Yeah, we know. Yeah, there, 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 the there are some that have actually bought and and, and they have already seen the, the product yeah. in store and and now. You know, it's just a question of immediacy. They, they feel it's the right time, uh, you know, the right message, the right time to the right person. Yeah. They're, they're at that yeah. point in time ready to make that purchase. And then they go ahead and they commit to it, right? Um, but, but I think they're definitely trying to grow their e-commerce. Yeah. And, and sometimes e-commerce as well, when you talk about luxury, they have entry-level products that you can yeah. access, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. from commerce. Like, for example... I think I saw a statistic that actually accessories are the highest part of most um, e luxury brands, like e-commerce and initial sales, right? That they make more money from, like, T-shirts 
belts, mm -hmm. bags than they do from actually people yeah. buying yeah. collections. Which and are and interestingly, in luxury, think about the, the, the fragrance and beauty. Yeah, during, exactly. COVID, during COVID, nobody was going in to actually try <laughs> You a, didn't have a, a to look makeup. nice for anyone or yeah, smell yeah. good for that matter. That was definitely, that was definitely something. But, but nonetheless, I mean, when you think about fragrance and beauty as, as, a, as a kind of a product uh, vertical, it skyrocketed. Uh, E-commerce was a really big hit for them and, and yeah. it helped them grow a lot. And, you know, I think it's good, too, because like, you know, with, with luxury, I think that yeah. what people have responded to is that also part of this discussion, which I think is going to sort of shift creativity, is I think people are getting, consumers are getting really annoyed with online advertising. I, think, right. the, I think the level of, right. of um, tolerance is, is, is decreasing. That's shown in data also, like consistently every time it's surveyed. <laughs> I think like it, it's, yeah. yeah, I think there's like some survey about like, what is it, like 60... Uh, I have to look it up in a second, but it's something like 60% of people just ignore display ads or something. Yeah. Like they don't even see, not that they ignore right. them, they don't even see them because That's right. That's it's right. just so common. Um, That's right. So I think one of the interesting things with luxury and, and obviously yeah. with what Mubkoi is doing is basically, you know, kind of trying to make, make that experience a good one. You know, the yeah. reality is, which we've talked about before on the podcast, is that you know, advertising pays for the free internet, right? And Correct. I think advertising has done a really jo poor job at explaining that to the consumer. Correct. Like, you have all of this wonderful free content because That's right. advertising That's right. is on it. At the That's same right. time, I can understand the advertiser being like, well, can you at least make it tolerable? Yeah. Correct. Not like, Correct. don't show me, you know, a trip for something, a place that I've That's already right. been, or like one of my friends, he gets consistently ads from a product that he already owns yeah. he's like i have this yeah. i bought it twice actually yeah. um so do you think with with yeah. what with what mubcoy is trying to do in terms of having those conversations with clients about creative that that sort of is that part of your mission is to kind of make it make online advertising have a slightly better reputation in terms of like how people think about it and how they're willing to engage with it? Absolutely, that's Mobco's core proposition. Actually, when we think about Mobco, we actually call it polite advertising. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. nice. So we call it <laughs> we good. call it the polite advertising approach. Um, I mean, when you think you, you you made a very good point. I mean, most people they understand the trade off to reading free content on a website, assuming that they're going to see some ads. Yeah. But I don't know if you guys had this experience. Sometimes I get on these sports websites, and I pretty much the text is this small, and yeah. it's, I'm just bombarded. It's just ads, it's just right? ads. I can't even read the text anymore. There's yeah. no more space. Like, where is the rest of the where, article? Where is my content? And, <laughs> and, then, they have the and, and then I have to, the and then I have to spend 30% yeah. of my time just looking for those close, close boxes yeah. so I can finally read the article and then just get fed up and I leave and I leave the site altogether. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is kind of like the 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 arrogance of kind of where we've gone as marketers with this whole programmatic approach and, and, and our, like just basically where the state of the business is today. Um, and, and, and of course, this is the reason why the audiences now are getting fed up. Mm -hmm. They understand that obviously, you know, we, we are, you're giving something to the publisher in return to read this amazing content. But now it's just the, the amount of advertising, the amount of players that are involved in this trafficking of data um, between everyone. And I think this is where now there is a, a significant pushback and it's only getting worse and worse, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't have the latest stats, but I think the average user in the US today, their data or the location or their personal data is transacted over 350 times per day. Wow. I think the number of transactions on a daily basis is measured in the hundreds of billions of times in the US and a little short of that in Europe. 
So there is a significant amount of data that is being passed around. If you're in Facebook, you think it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, you know wall garden. You think that Facebook is just managing that, but then Facebook yeah. will, will will potentially uh, you know it's just the way the the the, yeah. the, the market is. Yeah. So, so I think people are just getting a little bit fed up. So going back to Mobcoy, we always believe that the way to advertise is through contextual. Yeah. We believe that if you're looking for something and you're reading an article about a specific product or a specific industry or whatever, this is the right moment for you to see an ad yeah. that actually resonates with you at yeah. that time. I want to get into that about the publisher thing, but I found the statistic. So it was a study done by... Uh, Goo technology. So the majority of online ads are ignored. In fact, 82% of them are ignored. Yeah. 73% um, of banner ads are ignored. Correct. 62% of social ads are ignored. And 59% yeah. of um, search ads are ignored. What's really interesting actually is, you know, we always talk about the death of traditional media, yeah. but actually traditional media has the lowest amount of ads ignored. Only 37% of TV, radio, and newspaper ads are ignored. Correct. So, they measure that. Well, now, so this is something that's actually been, I mean, this is sort of a, a side, like a side thing, but this is something that's being talked about a lot within the agencies and a lot yeah. of the stuff I'm working on, which is like attention-based metrics now. Yeah. So you now have tools that can, you know, where they test people, whether they test them in what we call like in the wild environment. So you basically give access to these different companies to look at and basically turn the camera on and look at how you're engaging with like yeah. your social media channels and then they yeah. measure your attention. Um, that's one way to do it. Other, other ways are just like control testing with people and showing them a bunch of ads and like seeing like if they notice it. For, uh, for digital, obviously like there's the ad, like, there's there's a more direct line for attribution, but I feel like how are they measuring these billboards that are getting ignored? Well, I like think the TV thing is, well, I think the thing is too is I mean you you do like sort of ad recall metrics, right? So they probably mm -hmm. take people and go, do you remember seeing yeah. this, 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 right? Yeah, um, which yeah. is a lot of what That's we fair. do in yeah. digital. I think the here's the thing. I think that when it comes to TV, radio, and newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that they have to their advantage is, I think, more full attention. Yeah. A lot of the digital experiences you mentioned Correct. when you're on your mobile phone is like half attention. Correct. And they were saying this is one of the reasons that podcasts are doing so well and like Spotify it's advertising does so well because yeah. it's like half attention. Correct. You don't really need to be fully engaged to listen to a podcast, right? I think that TV, usually you're really watching the show, a commercial comes on, you're probably not even going to really move yeah. so you see it. Whereas like... If you're on YouTube or looking up something on Instagram, I don't know people who are just looking at social only. Like they're probably looking at social, they're probably talking to someone. Right. So I think that kind of, um, that, that level of attention is often why they're ignored, which then makes the creative even more important yeah. because you've got to fight for the attention of not only the online world, but also whatever That's they're right. doing and whatever part or like if they're sitting on a train maybe they're looking at their phone and looking across at that's different right. people that's right i wanted to get back to the oh, sorry were you gonna did you have a question about there is one thing i wanted to say i don't know if it's connected to that directly but i think that the last time so my wife wanted to buy um i think a gucci jacket and when she was doing the research i think she was on an article about the collection and then on that page, there were also ads for the Gucci collection that she was viewing. 
which I actually thought was really effective because then she went to the store and then sent me the link to ask if she could buy the jacket. <laughs> and so, and I was like, I remember thinking like, this is a really good experience actually, because it's what you were saying. Like, it, it's really about that context of someone who you know is interested and you, instead of, instead of giving, instead of saying like, hey, look, we know you're interested in football. So here's like an ad for like tickets to Formula One or something. Like that's the pretty general, yeah. like contextual advertisement. But I felt like with the, with the Gucci thing, it was like so targeted and like it gave her, it was more of like a, like a, like a window to buy. Like it was rather than, rather than it being like a, hey, look at this thing. It was like a, hey, like, yeah. do you want to just buy it now? Like you can go directly to the site. And so that's that was a really good nice. setup yeah. for the, the question I was going to ask actually, okay. because uh, you mentioned publishers. So how like, the conversations around the creative experience on a publisher's website, how do you find that collaboration? Because I know that, you know, in my experience with, in programmatic with working with publishers, there are some publishers who are like, I don't care, I just want to monetize That's every right. inch That's of right. my page, That's right? right. I want ads right. everywhere. Um, and, and, and some of those publishers get quite a, a lot of traffic, which is why they do that. And That's then right. you have publishers who care more about um, that experience I was reading recently that um, the New York Times has been really investing in the online experience on That's their right. website. That's right. So what is that collaboration? Because, again, you're yeah. working with sort of, I, I assume, more premium publishers. What is that experience like working with them? Do they get it as well? Do they want That's that, right. that sort of great sort of connected online yeah. experience that Brian is talking about? Absolutely. I, I think what's happening on the publisher level is fascinating right now. And I think this is where the attention should be for most marketers and and see how we can actually work and collaborate with publishers to bring the next evolution of this experience. Yeah. I think publishers, generally speaking, are all the same. They want yield. They want to generate as much revenue as possible. But those days where they could make big profits from print and so on and so forth are, are, are not entirely gone, but they're, they're much more limited. So now it's a question of how do you actually monetize your digital inventory? Now, of course, there are those publishers you talked about. We spoke about that earlier yeah. where you can't even read the yeah. article, yeah. essentially. But this actually falls into another category, which I find is because, you know, when you're actually buying media from, from a, an advertiser perspective, there's a lot of, you know, fraud, there's a lot of different things. So these sites are typically yeah. associated like with clickbait sites, clickbaits and, so, yeah. and sites and so on and so forth. So I, don't, I, I think those are just basically the moment that, you know, a shift will happen, they'll be the first to go, essentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, there will be a, a correction that will happen relatively quickly, and those would be the ones. And whenever you have, you know, blind buying, those are the ones that you typically just yeah, yeah, yeah. put into your media mix that nobody sees. So they're getting away with it right now. Yeah. Do you but think the marketers are? Uh, sorry to interrupt. Do you think the marketers, because that inventory, one of the one of the, one, well, yeah. no, but I mean, like one of the reasons that that exists is because the inventory is cheap, right? Yeah, exactly. And so we get into this conversation all the time. You and I have had this discussion yeah. separately about. Um, you have to pay for quality, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, so if someone says, oh, I have, you know, X amount budget, I want to achieve this much reach or have this many clicks. And a lot of times those publishers who sort of super monetize everything um, get a lot of traction from brands who are like, well, I don't understand why I have to pay X amount to be on Vogue.com, yeah. right? Um, but do you find that that's a battle sometimes with, with clients in terms yeah. of like, talking about price and you're you know, being I, like, I, no, but you need to pay for quality. Abso absolutely. Like we can't just. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Josh, you're, you're right on the money on this one. I mean, this is the reason, this is one of the issues that we run into very often is because these sites have lowered their price so, so much yeah. that now it's, it's hard to justify quality placements. Exactly. Because 
the marketer sees that and says, wait a minute, I, I can buy X amount of inventory yeah. at cents on the dollar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. why, 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 would I, why would I spend more? But the reality is that look at the experience. Go on a, on, on a Bloomberg, go on a Vogue, go on a, on a CNN yeah. and read an article. Then go to that site where you have 20 different ads that come. <laughs> the experience is different. That's there is true. credibility issues, right? Yeah. So I think when coming back to the idea of what's happening on the publisher side, they're realizing something's changing in their world as well. So initially, I mean, there are all these data players that, that monetized leveraging first-party data, you know, lo creating look-alike models, selling it, creating third-party, you know, yeah. uh, uh, ecosystems and, and, and so pools of customers and, and, and they've been able to sell audience targeting based on that. But as you remove the cookies and so on, this is kind of disappearing to some extent. So you're getting rid of, of basically the reach that yeah. you would had if you were able to, yeah. you, you wouldn't know exactly who is where essentially. Yeah. But however, there is still the idea of context. And this is where Mopcoy and, and many other players are trying to, to, to be a little bit more relevant now, is that when you think about a publisher, they realize that they have first party data. They know what you're consuming on their website. They know that your wife is on their website reading an article about Gucci, they know that. And then what it is, is that they also know that there is this contextual you know, bracket of people who are interested in high fashion or high luxury. Yeah. But now the problem is that they have relied on other parties to monetize that. So what they have done is that they have just sold the placement. And some good publishers have spent a lot of like they charge a lot for that premium placement, yeah. while you know, others don't care. But now what's happening is that they are starting to now invest in technology to be able to sell that. To, to, to brands. Yeah. The ability for them to, to uh, basically combine the first party data they have and the context now is quite uh, strong as a proposition. It's interesting because it's almost like going back to when, uh, so my, my, going back to my wife actually, she works in, uh, in music media and they used to sell ad placements with like direct deals. Like, and it's almost going back to that and then having the technology partners really be focused more on like unique ad formats. Right. And so for, for you at Mobcoy, how have you guys found like integration as far as like, cause you have some pretty unique creative offerings. Right. Um, so how have those, how have the integrations with publishers been on that side, like from the technology? Yeah. And actually very well, and this is the reason why we work with, with the, the, all the premium publishers because they want to be associated with, with good uh, brands as well. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the challenges that publishers have is the, the inability for them to create bespoke environments uh, within their site. They, they're, they're reliant on these formats that are transacted through programmatic and so on, and they can just basically open up and close slots, yeah. essentially. Yeah. That's pretty much the extent to, to yeah. what they, they can do. But working with publish or, or vendors like Mopcoy, where we can talk about creativity and creative journey and mm -hmm. developing something quite bespoke, um, they like that. They, they, they see it's not just a static display yeah. and it's got a coupon on it. Yeah. I mean, nothing wrong with that Those strategy. Those work sometimes. Yes. There's <laughs> not, absolutely nothing wrong with that strategy. I'm getting and, McDonald's for lunch today. As a matter of fact, even luxury brands are looking yeah. at sampling yeah. as, as, as a way to, to, to leverage that, that, uh, that uh, technology. So I, I'm, not, I'm not really digging at that because I think it has a valid yeah. place in the overall media mix. But I think generally speaking, publishers want better experience on their site. Yeah. They want people to come and read an article, not be bombarded, but they want to be well paid for it so that they don't have to essentially uh, sell so much of this ad space. Yeah. So this is where you see some publishers today that are doing better because those are the ones that have been able to uh, increase their subscriptions. Yeah. Uh, you know, the ones behind paywalls yeah. and so on are doing so well in that respect that they're realizing that they can cut a little bit their, their, uh, their uh, uh, inventory of, of, of ads and so on and so forth. Yeah. So the experience is enhanced to a large extent. Yeah. So they're adapting. Um, 
but of course they want to also be profitable. So players like Mopkoi, we, we call it polite advertising because it's not just on the experience, on the user experience side, but it's also keeping in consideration the needs of the publisher. Mm. We buy the inventory at a much higher uh, 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 cost uh, price than mm. what it would have been transacted on programmatic yeah, exactly. because we believe that for them, in order to limit the inventory, they need to be paid uh, a little bit of a premium. Yeah, exactly. So this kind of a value uh, you know, chain ultimately that works really well. And today, the, the, I guess the industry that is leveraging that the most is obviously is luxury and, and, yeah, and, 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 and so on. Sense. I mean, I have a bunch of questions, but I probably only have time for like two more. So one of the questions I was going to ask you, because obviously we're in Japan, Correct. Uh, which is a very unique market. Um, what do you think, how is sort of those conversations around the importance of creative, which I would say in, in Japan, um, display advertising is still used quite a lot compared Correct. to other markets, I think. There are a lot of publishers, sort of more Correct. domestic publishers, that still um, don't have the ability to utilize rich media, That's high right. in HTML5 That's right. um, ad formats. So what has been the, I guess, the hurdles or the conversations or how have you sort of approached Japan as a market in terms yeah. of A, having those conversations about the importance of creativity, but also B, as to Brian's point, like, overcoming those techn technological hurdles that some of the domestic publishers would have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Japan is always an interesting market to discuss. I, I mean, in, when you think about the culture and you think about uh, what Japan typically uh, is known for, it's elegance and, and quality and so on. I, I mean, when you think about Mopkoi, these are the values that we talk about when we speak to marketers and so on. So from, from a, a general sense, whenever we start talking about the Mopkoi solution, they, they see the value to a large extent. They understand that the creative touch, or at least the way that we interact with audiences, is really important to tell the story. And uh, the sense of ceremony that is so prevalent in, in, in Japan, we are showing them that it's possible to do that also on a creative standpoint. You yeah. can actually engage audiences in this hyper, uh, you know, personalized way. Yeah. Uh, some of the challenges that we've had is obviously when you think about media mix, there's been a lot of discussion about efficiency, cost efficiency. Mm. Um, and, and, and for that, a lot of uh, brands are still thinking about, you know, how do I actually, you know, spend, uh, uh, you know, the least amount uh, uh, for, for, yeah. for, for my advertising, yeah. but yet I want, very similar impact. So I think that the, the, the challenges that we've had, um, generally speaking, is to um, fight for uh, uh, you know, awareness and, and consideration as, as a legitimate place in the media mix. Yeah. Not every dollar should go into conversion and, and performance. These will be improved if you actually have a solid uh, middle funnel strategy where you can really interact with the brand and uh, with, the, with the audience and drive that message in a very coherent... And are Japanese marketers getting that in the first conversation or do you find yourself having to have multiple, multiple conversations? Okay. Multiple conversations. <laughs> that's, 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 yeah. that's the part that is a little bit more challenging for us is, is ultimately there is a lot of you know, evangelization that needs to happen at so many different yeah. levels. Yeah. Um, and I guess the ex expectation would be that that would accelerate when cookies officially are deprecated next year. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and we, people will come exactly, to me like, help exactly. us figure out how to reach. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I always use the yoga mom example because I just think that one's really funny. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. The millennial mom was another one that I thought was great. The millennial mom. The millennial mom. All right. Yeah. She has a lot of attributes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, absolutely. And I was going to say that uh, in terms of integration, publishers are, are, we have been able to integrate relatively quickly. As a matter of fact, we work with most of the big publishers here in Japan. 
Yeah. Um, because they appreciate the value proposition. They understand that you know, what we're trying to accomplish is in line with their strategies and their, their, their vision as well of, of how advertising should uh, be done today in, 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 the, in, our, in the ecosystem as we know it today. That's awesome. Um, yeah, from a, I have to ask because we're a recruitment company and I wanted to talk <laughs> a little bit about, um, um, so, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit there, just like the ethos of Mobcoy, what's that, what's the internal culture like? What, what are you guys trying to bring? Like, it seems like from an outside perspective, you're very focused on kind of bringing a maturity to digital advertising that maybe hasn't really been solidified right. over the past decade uh and so yeah i, I wanted to hear maybe more from you about mobcoy in general as a culture working culture environment so. yeah absolutely i mean you know mobcoy is, is a is a company that was uh you know uh, uh, built in in uh, london and now our our, uh, our ceo sits in new york so so we're obviously very western uh you know in, in approach um, but of course, the office in Japan is actually quite interesting because it's a marriage between the Western, you know, uh, way of doing things and, and the Japanese culture and mindset as well. So when we think about talent, we're always looking for those people that are, are, are looking for this perfect inter, uh, you know, interaction between these two cultures. We want people who are uh, very respectful of how to do business in Japan and, and respect the order uh, and, 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 and of course, the people that we interact with on a daily basis. But at the same time, you know, um, to talk about these these elements of open communication and empowerment and, and trust and so on and so forth. So the, we're really focused a lot on that. Um, but the, the overall profile, we're looking for people who are, uh, or at least uh, candidates who are very people-centric, uh, customer-centric or people-centric. We understand in our business, we have to really uh, educate uh, our, our stakeholders, whether it's the client direct, the CEO, CMO, or it could be the agency folks which, with whom we work with 90% uh, of the time. So a lot of what we do is about educating and taking the time to go through this cycle with, with our stakeholders. So the people that usually work at Mopkoi are those that are very, um, uh, they're strong communicators, they're patient, but they really focus on building a very, very strong uh, white glove service with their clients across all levels. And do you have to like luxury? Yeah. <laughs> you have to buy luxury, I should say. You have to buy luxury. Like you have to well, buy Gucci bags in well, order to work. The, at the thing is that a lot of a lot of people that join Mopcoy obviously are, are always uh, you know excited about the logos. I mean, we work with over eighty percent of the most luxurious brands in the world, and we speak with all the CMOs. We're privileged in that respect, and and all the agency folks that are also working with them. But the reality is that we're diversifying. We have accounts where we are working in FMCG. I mean, uh, for a while. In the UK, one of the biggest accounts was dog food provider. Oh. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. So those are the ones that we're spending a lot with Mopkoi. You know, we worked with uh, Uber Eats as well uh, on, on certain occasions. So there is a lot of different diversification that is happening. But I think what's really important is that when you are built for luxury, there are certain things that you have to get right from the onset, from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, you have to really have your, your customer game, you know, uh, on point. Um, these, are, these are usually industries that require a lot of attention to detail. Going back to those, those discussions we had about you know, uh, ad fraud, uh, you know, uh, brand safety and things like that, and, and just the environment that you are in. So they really care about details. And so detail-oriented uh, individuals are always uh, you know, people that work well at Mopkoi. But of course, it's just the attention to, or at least being attracted to premium environment and so on is usually kind of what we get yeah. most of the time. <laughs> That's great, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. That's basically everything I had on my docket. Is there any, any 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically it. Otherwise, this podcast would be like three hours long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great topic. It's a great topic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Any, 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 anything else you want to promote or shout out or can, where can they find you? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You have 30 yeah. seconds. 30 no, seconds. No, thank you. no, absolutely. Well, Mopco, we've been around for, uh, for over uh, four years now in, in Japan, and the team is growing. So we have uh, now uh, a team of uh, over 10 um, here in Tokyo. Um, we work with uh, great agency partners, uh, you know, and, and great accounts as well. So I think the idea here is just to promote the Mopcoin message, the polite advertising, and really make a stance for great, impactful ads. So I think if everybody is interested, they can reach us. We can find our information on mopcoin.com, uh, the Japanese version. They can find all the context there. But generally speaking, it's been a great journey, and we look forward to more, uh, you know, in the future. Great. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much, Philip.